All right, if we could bring everybody in and I'll go ahead and, and jump in here. I'm going to pray and we're going to get back this week after uh, a few, well, last week was off, I guess, right? And I was here for the few weeks before that. And uh, this is a Sunday school. We're um, spending our time over a number of weeks as we unfold. Uh, the trifecta here, I guess, would be, you know, JD, myself, and Stevens, who will all be teaching at different times. And it's a whole Sunday school on evangelism. On evangelism, and I have a few thoughts about that after I pray. Um, but what we've been doing, or my time for these couple of weeks, has been just this thorough depth thinking through the gospel, right? And just, and again, it's not necessarily the thing you go present to somebody, though you may. Um, but it's getting it deep in your mind as you're thinking these things through, because these are the issues we want to communicate to people. So, in weeks to come, we will we will be, be try to increasingly be, I guess you would say, practical, right? So let me pray, and I'll have a few more thoughts about that. So, Lord, I do thank you for this morning again. <clears throat> you know, when we, when we contemplate and meditate, Lord, this, this reality of the gospel that you've rescued us, and those of us sitting here who have been rescued, this is like the message of the universe, of <laughs> the cosmos, of the, the whole thing. And so it thrills our soul to be able to just talk about it. And of course, Paul said that. He wanted to come to Rome and just tell the Romans the gospel over and over. And so uh, we find great delight the weeks we've spent time doing this, Lord. Um, it's, it's thrilled our souls. And so I pray that would be true for us this morning as well. And so we come to you. We pray your word would speak. And uh, we look forward to what you'll teach us here, Lord. And open the eyes of our hearts that we may be enlightened. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I was thinking about this um, a lot. I, I, I tend to think about it a lot, I guess. And, um, but one of the things I would say would be, uh, as we talk about the gospel, and we're talking about evangelism, if I were to ask you today, and we won't do this because we don't have time, but if I were to say, can anybody in here tie a tie? So some of you would probably raise your hand and say, oh, I know how to tie a tie. And uh, Jared, how long does it take you to tie a tie? If you were to stand in the mirror and tie a tie, how long does it take you? Ten seconds. Okay, very good. I figured you, some of you might say a minute or something. Okay, just a few seconds. So you can you do it, right? But if I called you up here and I said, okay, who cannot tie a tie? Who doesn't know the slightest bit? Carolyn. Okay, so we, we put Carolyn here. We put Jared. Jared, I want you to teach Okay, Carolyn to tie a tie is what I would do. Again, we're not doing it this morning, we're not taking time, but, but here's the thing. Carolyn, you need to look that way, and Jared, you need to look that way, and you need to teach her how to tie a tie, and I'm going to hand her a tie, and she's going to have a tie around her neck, actually in her hand, he thinks, thanks, hon, and you're going to try to teach her to tie that tie. Let's think about that. Now, we could do it, and we'd all have a bunch of laughs, right? Because it's virtually impossible. I've never seen anybody able to do it. And here's the point. When we talk about evangelism, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I don't want it just to be theory. Okay? Now, we start there. We start with the Word of God. We get it deep in our hearts. We reflect on the reality of God. But the end goal of all of this is that you could actually talk to somebody about the gospel. And that becomes the dilemma of teaching on evangelism because we can talk about theory and that's wonderful but somehow and so there's this this interaction you try to help people see because the reality is if I really wanted to teach each of you 
And some of you, you know, I've had those interactions with, I'd almost have to take you with me and say, let's just go do it, right? But you can't quite do that in this kind of setting, right? And so it just brings this reality, I want you to know, that as we do this whole class, our hope is to the degree you can with a class actually try to equip you to be able to talk to people. So that's, you know, there's a lot around that of uh, just sharing examples and ideas and, and, and doing that. And we hope as the weeks unfold, we'll be able to do a whole lot more of that than what we've been doing. You see what I'm saying? So you could say, well, I've been in class on evangelism, but at this point you may be thinking, well, I, I still really don't know how to initiate that conversation with a friend and what to do with that. And that's what we want to help you do by the end as much as we can in this setting. Does that make sense? So let's go back this morning now um, and just kind of dive into God's word and see what, um, where we've been. Okay, so I summarized last week, and this will be leading into this week then too, is we've covered so far these, these three key points. The personal infinite God is the absolute foundation, the ultimate reality of all things. He is the perfectly just and loving creator. Secondly, man is divinely created with dignity, yet broken is the sinful creature. Three, Christ is the perfect solution. Praise the Lord, right? The great teacher, sin bearer, our representative, the king. Now, we go to the next step. What is our necessary response to be united to Christ? And this comes to that place in life where the other stuff sometimes is still a work to do, but now we come to this place and in our interactions and with people, and we say, you need to respond. This comes almost like the prophet, really, where you're literally giving this call to people. And you say, we've talked about all this. I've shared this with you. Now there's a response for you. You need to, you need to seriously consider this. And that's where we're at. What's our necessary response to be to united to Christ? Well, based on Jesus' reality, character, and work, the cross, demonstrated in real space and time history, and because Christ is still alive today, God invites and here commands us now to respond to him for who he is rightly, who he rightly is, the Lord, your creator, the living God of the universe. This response is always twofold, so catch that now. We can, there's a sense in which we do say, Here's this invitation, and maybe you've heard that a lot, but actually it's a command. There's a reality that we look at people and say, God's actually commanded you to respond to him. It's a strong word, isn't it? We've been called to do that. And the response is, first, number one, repent. Repent. Turn from our autonomous, self-centered rebellion and toward Christ as the Lord God of the universe, and thus our and thus our lives. This repentance involves our minds. We agree with God that we have wronged him and deserve his judgment. We realize that his goodness shown to us in many ways was designed to humble us into repentance, turning from our rebellion, and we submit our minds to him. We repent of our emotions. We despise our sins and our sinful nature. We set our passion on him. Notice above, we submit our minds to him we set our passion on him. And we repent in our wills. We recognize Christ alone is the payment and the power over our sin. We determine to turn from our rebellion and serve our creator and redeemer. You see that throughout the scriptures, burning books, 
what should I do, giving back money, all sorts of stuff, like a determination. That didn't bring about the salvation, but that is a demonstration of repentance, right? There's a real action of our will. Isaiah 55, 7, let the wicked abandon his way and the unrighteous person his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death but the grace or the gracious gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Which by the way, that is one key verse if you, and we will get to that in weeks to come. But you could take that one verse and say, I got one verse to share with you, the key verse of the Bible, and you can unpack the gospel completely with that one verse. It's really fun to do. John 1, 11 through 12. He came to his own, and his own people did not accept him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Receive him. Receive him as the Lord King. It's like the, the, the authority, the, the, the king of the universe of your country comes and knocks on your door and you receive him. That's the idea of that, that idea of receiving him. Revelation 3, 18 through 20, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so you may clothe yourself and the shame, and the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed and I salve to apply to your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I rebuke and discipline. Therefore be zealous and Repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and he will and will dine with him and he with me. Repentance, center of that whole thing. Second Corinthians seven ten. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. There is a real sorrow. There is a real feeling of guilt. There is shame but godly shame godly sorrow this godliness that comes leads you to repentance do you see the difference repentance is an action you are doing something you are moving you are shaping you are changing starts with that oh, conviction but it should lead you to repentance so the first call is for people repent turn from your sin Turn from your sin. The second response, trust or faith. That would be a discussion we could have. Um, I think I'll forego that for now. But the idea is we are to turn from our sin and to trust Christ. And that idea of trust is faith. It's one and the same. We trust in nothing that we can do but only in the finished work of Christ as Savior. With our minds, we recognize Jesus Christ as the actual historic reality and necessary payment for sin. His work is sufficient, period. In any attempt to add good works or religious duty, I am in essence saying to Christ, you're not enough. There's some deficiency in your life, death and resurrection, that I need to help make up. You covered a percentage, and I may need to make up the difference. This attitude really and simply exposes man's deep-seated pride and rebellion. Man sadly wants to pay for his own sin. You'll see this when you talk to people, when they'll say, well, I believe in Jesus and I'm trying to be a good person. As soon as they say, and, you know, there's different variations of that, 
Uh, I go to, go to church regularly. I go to confession regularly. You hear that a lot. Okay, great. So did Jesus die for 100% or 93% or 87% and you've got to kind of fill in the gap? Did he die for all your sin or not? You see? You see that those kind of conversations come up with people. Emotions. You long for Christ and rejoice in his complete and satisfying love for the undeserving. Wills. We commit our lives to Christ by casting, I like that word, casting ourselves upon him as our only hope for reconciliation with God. We transfer our trust from ourselves to him. We take for ourselves his gift of forgiveness and righteousness. We ask for God's mercy. We cast ourselves upon him. We've got nothing else. If you don't rescue me, I'm done. Right? I like, right? Yeah. <laughs> Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in him. For by grace, unmerited favor, you have been rescued through faith. What a wonderful passage. Memorize that one, folks. For by grace, you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. See the promise? You can trust it. God said it. Confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. John 3, 16 through 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world but so that the world might be saved through him. The one who believes in him is not judged. The one who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Luke 23. In fact, I was going through this. I'm not assuming you guys are looking at that thick outline I gave you, but I actually, if you get through there and you get at this point, I actually have John 23 in those notes, and it should be Luke 23. As I was going through those, that's when I was putting this together. I'm like, oh, I, I wrote that wrong. But here it is. Another great picture of this whole thing. One of the criminals who were hanging there was hurling abuse at Jesus, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other responded. Listen to his heart, right? And rebuking the first one said, do you not even fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? Can you see the repentance in there? Don't you fear God? Don't you get it? Don't you see what you're facing? And we indeed are suffering justly. Isn't that amazing? I deserve this. Yep. Suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our crimes, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Somewhere, think about that, he had heard about Jesus and he probably had heard Jesus preach somewhere because he knew about Jesus coming into his kingdom. 
Isn't that great? Isn't that a great picture? It's just this wonderful picture just to read. Here's another one, Luke 18. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and began praying this in regard to himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people, swindlers, crooked, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. We may not use those words, but there's a lot of words. I go to church, and I'm not like those other people, right? You see it. What happens? But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to raise his eyes towards heaven, but was beating his chest, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. There's a man under repentance. There, there it is. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. I see a lot of nodding. Isn't that great? Those are the pictures. Those are the pictures of what it looks like to repent and trust Christ. There it is. So the main point in all of this is... A person can only enter into this life and right relationship with God by recognizing his rebelliousness, sinful autonomy, true moral guilt. I'm going to touch on that just briefly with you. That's why I have it underlined. True moral guilt. Because you see, we're not just talking about shame people feel, though that can be a conviction that God can use as we already read. And he does use that. We're talking about true moral guilt. You have violated the law. Because a lot of people feel, feel bad feelings. That's really not what we're talking about. We're talking about true moral guilt. You have violated the law of God. So recognizing our rebelliousness, sinful autonomy, true moral guilt, and desiring to turn away from our sinful life. We must then turn from ourselves and trust Christ for who he is, the Lord and God of the universe. As one trust Christ and comes into right relationship with him, a number of things begin to unfold. And I'm just touching on a few that are kind of great to talk about and inter you could interact with those people right away. He or she is sealed with the very presence of God and the person of the Holy Spirit. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, okay, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you are sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. God's very presence comes to live with you. When you trust Christ, the living God of the universe makes his presence in your life. He tabernacles with you. What a great truth, right? He, she is given a new identity. Talk about a discussion for today's culture, right? God gives us a whole new identity. It's already popping up there for you. You see it in John 1.12, a child of God. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. A disciple of Christ, which means a Christian. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year they met with the church and taught considerable numbers of people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. It's actually a derogatory term. Oh, those Christians, they hang out with that Jesus guy, right? But notice there, the disciples, 
the disciples, what makes a person a disciple, the mission of this church, the mission of Christians, the Great Commission, go make disciples. The making of the disciples starts with this, the preaching of the gospel. That, you know, we could have that whole discussion. I have with the guys sometimes, but it's it, it, fundamentally that you could even call that if you wanted to think about it, it's discipleship. I'm bringing a person the message that makes them a disciple of Jesus. And that message is the gospel. And when they turn from their sin and trust Christ, the spirit of God seals them. And at that moment, they are a disciple of Christ. Baby, immature, and again, the Great Commission goes on more, right? We need to teach and obey and admonish. There's lots that has to unfold yet. But when you come to faith in Christ, you become a disciple. You become a Christian. Isn't that great? Further, God brings them into eternal life. I'm always trying to think how to best say this. This eternal life is not something that occurs after one's body fails on this earth. But rather, this eternal life is something that one is believing in Christ enters into now. Like, you've already stepped into it, now it lasts forever. Got this little short journey here, and it just keeps right on going. Eternal life. This eternal life is not something that occurs... Oh, I already wrote that. That's not my verse I wanted to do. 1 John 5, 11 through 13. Now, this is eternal life, that they may know you. Nope, that's not it either. Help me here. Does anybody have it? Somebody look that up for me. My mind went blank in the moment. This is the testimony that God has given us, right? Keep going. I don't remember it. Does anybody have it for me? Hey, John, 17.3. This is eternal life that they know yeah. you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ. Yeah, and I, I had that one. The one I'm thinking is First John because it didn't come up right in my PowerPoint. First John 5.11. Yeah, thank you. testimony that God gave us eternal life. Yes. And this life is in his, his son. Right, that's what I wanted there, right? He's given us eternal life, praise the Lord. And in him is life. He that doesn't have the Son doesn't have the life. And John 17 through 3, too, yeah? Is, say it again, J.D. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Isn't that something? Eternal life is knowing God. It's knowing God. So the conclusion number of passages to read through after reading this is you, you we point people to the scriptures after reading and thinking through this entire outline and this is more like personal even for you sitting here here these are the kind of things you can share with people but after reading and thinking through this entire outline which i've been asking you for a few weeks just to take it home and meditate pray to god for his help recognize your rebellion and place your trust in christ i'd encourage every one of you today to seriously think that through even sitting here Paul said he was going to do it in Rome. I can't wait to come and preach to you the gospel. And when he was done preaching these fundamental things, he says, turn from your sin and trust Christ. And I would tell every one of you that. Turn from your sin and trust Christ. Recognize your rebellion. Place your trust in Christ. And his word, as his word makes sense and comes alive to you, believe it and agree with God about it. Thank God for the work he has done in opening your eyes to his truth in his word. So there's two responses as you, as you sit here today, you, and most of you, I suspect, sit here saying, I'm a Christian. But there's at least two responses. One is, oh, Lord, I need to turn and trust you. And two is, 
oh God, thank you for opening my eyes to this. And so for many of you, it might be, oh Lord, thank you. Thank you for opening my eyes to this, that I sit here chosen before the foundations of the world and somehow I find myself here. We can have a whole discussion about that, but somehow I find myself here sitting here actually believing this. Actually believing it. Remember when a little quote by C.S. Lewis, he said he went, he went home, you know, that night as not just the prodigal, but the one that was kicking and screaming and like not wanting to enter, but he couldn't help. Like he had been just overcome by God. Just overcome by God. The most unlikely convert in London that night or something is what he says because I didn't, I didn't come running in. I came kicking and screaming. But he couldn't deny the fact that it was true. He came to this place and said, this is true. Because God opened his eyes. So we thank God. We thank God. Tell someone and seek out friendship of other Christians who take the Bible seriously. Now, what I'd like to do is, uh, Bryce, if you have that queued up, um, I knew I'd be done a little early today. I have a little, just a little, it just kind of came out. J.D., is this where, you, where this was at? Okay, J.D. and Stephen were just at the Shepherd's Conference. Somebody had sent this to me, and I'm like, oh, what a capstone. This is Vody Bauckham. And again, think of that, Shepherd's Conference, pastors, right? And he's preaching the gospel. I just love it. And so... It's just a little three and a half, four minute clip. I want you to hear it and I'll come back up. And I think, uh, you know, we'll have a few more minutes. We may break a little early today and have some sweet fellowship with one another, but we'll go open it up for a few questions here in a minute. So if you can get that up there and we will watch this and enjoy it. When people say, no, our, our problem is this, our problem is that, we say, no, 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 our problem is that God created the world and God created man and he put man in the garden to keep the garden and he gave the man a command and he held that man to perfect perpetual obedience to that command and he promised him life if he kept it and death if he didn't and he didn't keep it he ate and because he ate because of that one man sin entered the world and death through sin and everyone born from that man through ordinary generation inherited that man's sin nature and because of that sin nature sins proceed from it and our world is broken because of that sin and we stand guilty before a holy and righteous God and we know that he's holy and we know that he's righteous and we crave justice. But the problem is that if God gives us justice, we all die. And so that God in his goodness and in his mercy sent forth his son who was not born of ordinary generation but was born of a virgin. Yes, the virgin birth matters. Why? Because if he's born of ordinary generation, he's born in sin. But because he's not born of ordinary generation, he's not born in sin. He's clean of sin. His record is clean. And he keeps his record clean. And he obeys God's law. And because he's fully God and fully man, he obeys the law of God on our behalf in his active obedience. And then in his passive obedience, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. All we like sheep had gone astray. 
Each of us had turned to his own way, but God laid upon him the iniquity of us all. And Christ died for sin once for all, the just for the unjust. And God imputes our sinfulness to him. And he nails our sinfulness to the tree. And Christ dies and raises again on the third day for our justification. And there's another imputation. The righteousness of Christ is actually imputed to us so that God can be both just and the justifier of the one who places faith in Jesus Christ so that all those who come to Christ may enter in, so that all those who place faith in Christ might be saved, but not only saved, but sanctified because he's the firstborn of many brethren. We're justified and we're adopted into the family of God and we're sanctified and as his children we began to bear the family resemblance and we're further sanctified throughout this life by the very same gospel that saves us until one day when it's all said and done we're not just saved from the penalty of sin we're not just saved from the power of sin but one day we're glorified and saved from the very presence of sin that's the gospel that we preach. That's the gospel that we need. And that's the gospel that's more than enough. Yes, is that more than enough? Wow. God, who he is, man, dignity but deeply fallen. The only answer, Christ, oh my friend. Turn from your sin and trust Christ. That is the message we take to the world. Pray with me and then we'll, uh, well, yeah, why not pray right now? Because that, that thing makes me want to pray. <laughs> Lord, I thank you for saving us with this gospel. Thank you for men like Bodhi who actually preach it, not just talk about it. And may we be that in this life. May we pray for the opportunities and we pray for others who we know are speaking to others and that we, we be a church that develops a culture of prayer where we're seeking you to open these doors and to give us the boldness and give us the mind and the courage to speak these things to our world. And may you use us with this profoundness of the gospel. May you save us here, that each one of us would truly come to know you, rejoice in you, and may we take that to the world in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have a couple minutes. Is there any uh, looming questions maybe we could answer for a couple minutes? We have actually technically 10 more minutes. Could just all go to fellowship too, which I enjoy, but go ahead, J.D. Not saving faith. Hmm. Well, the first one that jumps in my mind, and you can help me, you probably have some thoughts, and I don't mind you coming up and help teach, because you probably are thinking of some stuff. But certainly, um, faith in my works, even whether I say it or not, and I, and I kind of alluded to that before, the sense of like, oh no, I'm religious, I go to church, I believe in God, and you enter into those conversations, I want to say, well, you know, Satan believes in God. Satan was there, he watched the whole thing, he knows it better than you do. So that's not what we're talking about either. We're talking about an under, utter surrender, abandonment of my soul to God. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> my life, for my sake, on this earth is no longer. It's that serious. 
Now, um, help me. What do you think of some other deficiencies? Feel free. Head knowledge, yes. That's a good one. Mental assent. Oh, I know all these great doctors. I can check the boxes. Yeah, great story. I met a guy in uh, Huntsville, Alabama. My wife and I were down visiting um, uh, my son and daughter-in-law maybe two years ago, Tina. And uh, I was there talking to this guy. He'd moved there. And he said, yeah, I've been, you know, I, I, the, long story short, he says I was from a church. I won't mention the denomination. Um, but I was in a church in uh, um, uh, Denver, Colorado. I grew up in it. He says everybody knew theology. We knew all the doctrines. We knew the Westminster. We knew the whole thing. And he said, I came here, and he said, after one week of hear, hearing this man preach, I realized that maybe I had missed preaching much of my life. And he says, over the next six weeks, I came to the conclusion, even though I could have checked off every box, that I was not born again, I was not regenerated. I knew all the answers, but I had never truly trusted Christ. And he says, that happened here. And I thought it was fascinating. He was an engineer for NASA or something, one of these really smart guys, and he had all the ducks in a row, knew everything, could check the boxes, and like, yep. You thinking of another one? Maybe. Emotional experience? You could. Yeah, it repents. You could have an incredible uh, emotional experience. Tears. Okay, that's, there's nothing wrong with tears. There's lots in the scripture about tears. But you could hear some great music and get tears. And sometimes I wonder, like, that could happen at a cool concert, too, you know. An emotional experience isn't even enough. Now, I'm not, not making void of an emotional experience. Those are powerful, but it's not even that. That's why I was emphasizing the things I was in repentance. Repentance is an action. Like, I actually turn. Like, like, my affections, I need my affections to change. I want them to change. I will stop. I will turn. We stumble. We fall. But, but God knows this direction of the heart. He knows the direction of the heart. Good? Some other stuff, yeah. Yeah, anything and, yeah. Say that again. Yeah. Yeah, anything, anything and God, as soon as you add something, right? And you'll hear people say that, you know. Well, oh, yeah, I, I, I believe in Jesus, and as soon as they say and, you're like, they don't fully understand. Now, I'm not saying that some of those people, truly, you may be sitting here, and you may have actually trusted Christ, but you haven't thought about answering that thoroughly, right? You haven't thought it through. But often that's a clue to me that somebody doesn't really understand gospel. They really, they really don't understand it. Anything else? So, yeah, Jared. How do we train people to evangelize? Yeah. What is the standard that basically that you think is a common mistake? Or a common, like you mentioned, those four points, like what's a common point that's made? I think we're afraid, oh, uh, yeah, I'm going to say it quickly, right? I probably need to give more thought to it, but I will say a couple things. I think we're afraid to talk about sin. I think we're afraid to tell people sin is real, you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. I think we're afraid to go there because you are calling something out. And then, truly, I say the closing. I don't mean the sales closing, but I mean, no, you, you, God's commanding you to turn from your sin and trust Christ. Will you? We're kind of afraid there. It kind of puts us out there, right? The other stuff I can kind of talk about a little, little easier, and it's okay. I mean, the other stuff can, but at some point, the preaching of the gospel is... You need to turn from your sin and trust Christ. And so I think there's a sheepishness in our culture, too. It's probably always been there to talk about sin. 
right? I see you nodding your head. Does that make sense? Have you seen that? Some of that I've seen that. I've seen that in different campus, you know, just, I've just seen it. I've seen it. And we're kind of afraid to kind of go there. And it's like, no, you have to go there. Now, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question, and I hope over weeks to come, we unpack that more. I was thinking of 2 Corinthians. I've done, in a real sense, right, at that point, I've actually done my part that God's called me to do, and I need to be satisfied with that. Where you go with the relationship is a different thing, because most of the evangelism you guys are going to do, most of it, I would suspect, is going to be relational. I think you can keep moving on in the sense of a relationship, say, well, this was the most important thing we could talk about, and I'm always going to be thinking about you, and I'm going to be praying for you about this, because you really need to turn from your sin and trust Christ. That would be my heart to my friend. Know that you're my friend. And because, but it concerns me. It concerns me what this means, because you don't know if you have tomorrow. So I don't mind putting, again, where we're at in the relationship, I don't mind putting that pressure on people. I really don't. Like, this is serious. That's why I'm talking to you. And it would be the most unloving thing in the world for me not to talk to you about this. The most loving thing I can do is tell you that you're, you're heading to a, a really dangerous situation that's eternal. So I don't know if that's helpful, Al. I know it's awkward. That's what I'm saying. So to Jared's question, it all kind of compiles here. We, we all know that awkwardness. There's an awkwardness there. So I grieve, I pray, I tell them I, I pray. Um, I don't know. Anybody want to add anything to that? I see some questions back there, way back there. Yeah. Uh, yeah um, Speak up so we can hear. In fact, I probably should be repeating the questions, and I'm sorry. Go ahead. How do you put your faith in Christ? Yes. You're actually right now. Right? You surrender. You turn from your sin and you trust Christ. I'm that serious. Like you lay your face, you, maybe by yourself, you get flat on your face in your room and you say, God, my life is yours. If you've got to kill me, kill me. I'm done. And I'm turning from everything and giving it to you. I would tell you to do that. Tell every one of you to do that. Sure, I don't know if that help is helpful. <laughs> okay. Russell. Yeah, now, I think, I think, you know, 
Right. Right. I got it. Yeah, and I know that to some degree that'd be a theological debate, yeah. but I'm, so I'm going to tell you, just shoot right from my hip, they're a Christian. Everybody's separated from Christ. Apart from Christ, we're all separated. We come from all sorts of ethnicity. There's all sorts of wonder in tradition. If you go to Romans, the first three chapters, especially chapter three, there is a wonder that God used these Jewish people. That was part of his plan in the world, but at the end of the day, you get to the end of, middle of the end of Romans 3, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and everybody needs to be justified. So I don't have a problem telling it. No, and I know that, but what I'm saying is, no, I don't think there's a special, I actually don't think, there, there's a special category in the sense like, wow, you have this heritage in your background, but when it comes theologically to coming to Christ, when we cross that, we become Christians. It's one man. It's one new man. There is no longer any Gentile, Jewish. And again, it doesn't mean we can't enjoy that, but we, I would actually tell you in this room we can enjoy backgrounds. Some of us come from you know, all sorts of unique backgrounds that we bring things that God was doing things in certain places and times. And maybe that's not strong enough for some. That's what I mean. We'd have to have that theological conversation. But in Christ there's only one new man. I mean, that's it. We're, there's no Jew. There's no Gentile. We're all one in here. It's, it's, there's no special anything. And so anytime anybody tells me that source, I'm a Jewish Christian. You know, that's another one. You want to take that far enough, I'm a gay Christian. I'm like, nah. It's impossible. There's no such thing. No such category. We're a Christian because I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. So, well, I, but I'm just, I'm saying I don't. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Jay. It's a whole new identity. I'm a whole new thing. And we're all that when we come to faith in Christ. And again, it doesn't mean I can't look back and see things and appreciate that, but I think that gets overstated sometimes when we, I've heard that. People say, well, they, they're Jewish, so they have something to say to me. And I want to go, well, maybe. You know, they, they may have some education from their back that I, as a Gentile, didn't have, and it's really intriguing. But, but, the, but yeah, and I know you're not. I'm just trying to tease that out a little bit, so... Do you have any thoughts, J.D., to pull that together? Yeah, I think, I think it's helpful how Paul says he has all this heritage, right. and he has all this education. He said a Hebrew to Hebrews, circumcised day to day. He sat with Jesus and Naomi when he taught. He said it's all rubbish. It's yeah, there you go. Good. Yeah. Yeah, and I appreciate it. I didn't. I didn't suspect you had misunderstanding there, Russell. We've talked before, but but I really do. I would tell somebody, you know, it's a whole new identity. You've crossed a line like the rest of us. Boop. So good. Alrighty, I already prayed for us. God bless you. It's ten fifteen. Go enjoy some fellowship and be back to worship in fifteen minutes.